0: Shout out to the 40 plus subscribers that we currently have on the MMA Fight Archive. If you are one of those 40 plus people, let the people know and drop a comment below and let them know how uh, useful and helpful the MMA Fight Archive has been in terms of helping and guiding you with your research, predictions and breakdowns for the upcoming events. Speaking of upcoming events, over the next two weeks, we got so many regional events going down and they'll be all available on the Fight Archive for you to study and predict and break down with such ease because all of the links to their past fights will be on one page, not to mention their Instagram pages, all their pages, everything you need to research a fighter will be on that page for events like cage warriors who has two events over the next two weeks uh cffc lfa aca a1 combat and not just that but also the bellator versus risen card which also goes down next week make sure you guys check it out seven day free trial available just so you can try it out before shelling out any change check the link in the description below i promise if you break down fights and predict fights and try to do your own research This is the best place to do it and the best place to uh, center your research around. Make sure to check it out. Link in the description below. Shout out to the 40 plus of y'all. Hopefully you guys can drop some comments and let the folks know as well. All right, let's get right into this episode. Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC London, which is headlined by the return of top British heavyweight Tom Aspinall. Yes, I see you out there, filled the freeze, retaining the KSW title a couple weeks ago as well. Uh, but Tom Aspinall, the UFC heavyweight you know golden boy for the British scene he returns and he's going up against Marcin Tybura in his return match since uh, Ty- uh, Tybura on a bit of a winning streak of his own right now uh, solid momentum behind him too but Tom Aspinall is looking to bounce back from that injury loss he took to Curtis Blades last year Coleman main event has the fan favorite Molly Meatball McCann taking on a can i must say just to try to get back in the win column not to mention a bunch of other great fights including nathaniel wood against andre feely that's a great fight as well uh so many great fights we've got 15 fights on this card to break down and to look forward to and i believe it's going to be going down afternoon time at least for the north uh north american folks so we get some nice uh lunchtime fights to to digest and consume as well so i'm looking forward to that Before we get into that, let's just go over the lock of the night and dog of the night predictions from last week's card. Pretty good prediction, uh, you know, for me. Like best predictions went eleven and two, uh, you know, predictions in terms of fighters winning went ten and three. Not too bad. Uh, Great work all around in terms of you know the, the 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 parlays and all that stuff did pretty well. But in terms of the lock of the night, Evan Elder comes through relative. He's had a little bit of a scare in the second round where he got hurt by Valdez, but showed great discipline and great ability to battle back from adversity and was able to do some big damage of his own. I wish he got the knockout, but he still went out there and did a great job on the scorecards to get his hand raised. So we push our lock of the night prediction record up to 58 and 17 on the year for 77% hit rate. Again, I don't I take odds into considerations, obviously, but the main point of the lock of the night prediction is to hit as often as possible for something you guys can rely on on a weekly basis. Dog of the night, not so well. Terence McKinney had a great first round where he was able to control the back of Nazim Sadikov for the majority of it, but was unable to secure any type of finish. And as with any Terrence McKinney card, once that fight or fight uh, reaches the second round, that's where he starts to drop off in productivity. And that's where Sadikov was able to get the finish as well. So the dog of the night predictions dropped to 33 and 43 on the year for a 43% hit rate. And as you guys saw from last week's new segment, the top three dog of the night candidates were still in the profit even though we're on, uh, you know, less than 500 on hitting those dog of the nights. But that's the whole point of hitting underdogs is that you always get a little extra squeeze when you try to take a shot on them. Uh, This weekend, actually, we got two regional events coming up. LFA 163 as well as Cage Warriors. I believe it's 157 or 158. I could be off on the number, but either way, two regional events that i'll be breaking down strictly on the patreon so if you want to get written breakdowns for those and see what action and predictions i'm looking at the only place to get it for myself is in the patreon link to that is in the description below don't get it mixed up with the mma fight archive which is where you'll find direct links to past fights from all or fighters on upcoming cards it's my personal patreon the lock of the night patreon check the link in the description below and you won't regret it and lastly, last plug for you guys, GodzillaWins.com. Shout out to those guys for giving me a platform to drop some written breakdowns for you guys on a weekly basis. Wednesdays, we drop the main event break- breakdown where I give you guys my best spot, whether it's an over, prop, or even just a straight up money line on the upcoming UFC's card. Or on Thursdays, when I drop my three best money line article uh, where you guys can find out which i which money lines I feel are the three best for the upcoming UFC card. Pretty self-explanatory there. I post the link's to of those articles in the description below of this podcast once i drop them which is usually wednesday for the main event and thursday for the three best money line uh, spots as well so make sure you guys check that out and shout out to gods of the make sure you guys follow them and i'll be reappearing on their podcast on saturday for uh, not this saturday but next saturday for ufc 290 291 uh breaking down poirier versus Gates 2 so make sure you guys check that out all right without further ado we got 15 fights to get through let's get right into it Kicking things off in the flyweight division, we got 14-3, Jafel Filio going up against 16-5, Daniel Barres. Starting off on the Filio side, he is no stranger to fighting in London as he actually competed on the last London card earlier this year when he took on Mohamed Mukhaev and, you know, had some bright moments that night. We saw him actually have a very near... Uh, submission with the beautiful knee bar that he set up against Makaev in the third round and it seemed like he hyperextended it it seemed like Makaev you know was in some pain but did a very good job in terms of not tapping or at least letting out some sort of verbal tap and he eventually got out of that knee bar getting the back of Filio and submitting him with a couple seconds left on the clock. Filio is a Nova Uniao product. Growing up in the gym, pretty much training around Jose Aldo, has a great overall game, BJJ black belt, and very aggressive with his striking style. He got his UFC contract through the contender series where he knocked his opponent out in the third round, but I think more often than not, he prefers to take fights to the ground and try to do damage from on top, open up submission opportunities, or just control his opponents and get wins by decision. His opponent this weekend, Daniel Barres, is a former contender series alum who came up short against Carlos Hernandez back in 2021 and ultimately was passed up that night, even though it was a very close fight and a very close loss. Luckily for him, he went 4-0 and over his next four fights, finishing all four of his opponents in the first round. It showcased that he is a very dangerous fighter, and even though he's 34 years old, he is a fighter that deserves to be in the UFC, given that he can ha- probably have success against at least the middle to bottom half of the flyweight division. He's a Spanish-born fighter, but actually trains down in Mexico at the Entrim gym, where you can see him training alongside guys like Edgar Chárez, who is pretty much been one of his closest training partners as of late Babares is a great overall fighter great aggression forward movement and throws with power and i'm very happy that the ufc decided to sign him because i'm sure he can deliver on some very fun fights look forward to this Spaniard to take center stage this weekend and let's see if he can get a victory in his first UFC fight. This is a phenomenal fight to kick off the UFC prelim card considering the fact that these guys are right now at a pick-em at least at the time of this recording but the way that they both bring the fight to each other however I'm gonna lean with the Spanish side here the Spaniard side and Daniel Barras, as I believe his striking advantage and aggressiveness will allow him to push the pressure against Filio and really put the hurting on him there. Filio could have some success if he's able to take this fight to the ground, but I expect that the damage-heavy approach of Barres and his striking advantage will likely be his key to victory in this fight. Filio, again, not a pushover by any means, and these pick-em-odds are a perfect example of how close this fight is going to be, but I'm going to go with the Spaniard. Like I said, more damage, more uh, well, straight up, just more damage. I'm taking Barres by decision. Next up in the women's strawweight division, we got five and zero Shauna Bannon going up against eight three and one Bruna Brasil. Starting off on the Bannon side, she makes her UFC debut after turning pro in April of 2022, and she was able to put together five straight victories, including two wins on the Invicta scene before the UFC decided to sign her, given the amount of popularity and fan base that she has over there in Ireland and in the UK. She comes from a striking background, but she showcases solid grappling chops uh, through her first five professional fights. But she doesn't just have five fights as she's been through a pretty solid amateur career as well, where she put together a nine and three record. Her last loss, which was in her amateur days, came against PFL standout Dakota Dechiva, which is not a bad loss at all. She put together 10 straight victories after that loss and I believe she might be a little green still coming into the UFC as she hasn't really faced the highest level of competition but she shows some great technique and some great skills that she could possibly be successful at this point in her career against the lower half of the strawweight division. She's fun, she's exciting and she is a developing prospect. I look forward to seeing whether this is too much too soon for her or if she has what it takes to be successful. On the flip side, Bruno Brasile unfortunately had a loss in her UFC debut earlier this year when she got knocked out by Denise Gomes. That was a fight where I personally had a lot of uh, confidence in her, thinking that her footwork, patient-striking approach, and improving uh, get-ups from takedowns was going to be the key to her success in that fight. But Gomez stayed on the pedal uh, the entire fight, hurt Bristillo on the feet numerous times, got her to the ground very easily, and then eventually smashed her from that top position to get the ground-and-pound victory. Bristillo's patient approach may not be what it is, uh, you know what it looked like on the regional scene against lower level competition because that competition was more than happy to just stay on the outside and let Brazil do her work and operate at her pace but if you can push her and make her uncomfortable it's clear that she is uh, you know she gets uncomfortable she gets frustrated and she ends up looking for an exit if you're able to push the pace and stay in her face she's still very skilled she has some good technical work in terms of throwing up submissions off of her back and even with her striking and counter-striking approach, but she's going to have to pick up the pace a little bit more if she wants to be successful at the UFC level. Not often do women do very well when they make their UFC debut, especially as an undefeated prospect. Just a couple weeks ago, we saw Ivana Petrovic fall short to Luana Carolina. However, it's every fight being a different stylistic clash, every fight being a different puzzle to solve. I feel like Bannon has the aggressiveness required to give a woman like Bruna Brasio some issues I used to be pretty big on Brasio but it's obvious that she f- uh, falters when she is the nail in the equation and I feel that that's what she's going to be here so it's going to be the forward pressure forward movement aggressiveness and takedowns abandoned that will likely get her w- win in this matchup by decision She's currently a small underdog, thinks she's worth the price here. Again, got to be careful with these debuting women, but I feel like stylistically speaking, Bannon is the side here, and like I said, I'm going to take her to win by decision. We got a banger in the lightweight division up next as we have 10-1 Chris Duncan going up against 7-0 Yanel Ashmuz, starting off on the... Duncan side of things he's on a three-fight winning streak after losing out on his first opportunity on the contender series back in 2021 where he came in as a slight favorite against Vyacheslav Borchev, who ended up knocking him out that night but Duncan went back to the regional scene and picked up a decent victory over a mediocre opponent and got another shot on the contender series where he got hurt pretty bad early by Charlie Campbell and then eventually was able to muster up his own comeback and get the victory that night, earning his UFC contract. He made his UFC debut earlier this year where he defeated Omar Morales by decision in a fight where, you know, we were used to see him going out there and throwing down, but chose a grapple-heavy approach to control Morales and eat up most uh, you know a lot of the clock that night and get his hand raised there. I think he'll have to lean on both sides of the MMA world in terms of utilizing his patent and striking approach as well as mixing and takedowns if he hopes to be successful at the UFC level. His opponent this week, weekend Moose burst onto the UFC scene after knocking out hot prospect Sam Patterson in the first round of their matchup earlier this year and I believe also on the same card that Chris Duncan had competed on. Moose was a fighter that was on the regional scene, looked like a very wild and reckless fighter until he took nearly a 3-4 to four year long layoff and then ended up coming back with a grapple heavy approach. He still goes out there and throws caution to the wind as we saw in his fight against Sam Patterson and he has a lot of power that he can put his opponents out with but I like the fact that he likes to take opponents to the ground and do maximum damage from that top position but I still believe that he has that brawler inside of him and given the circumstance and matchup he might have to bring that out against certain guys. This should be an absolute slobber knocker. Like I'm expecting both guys to go out there and to try to implement the grapple heavy approaches, but I end I think it's gonna end up being a, a fist fight between these two guys. I think they're gonna eventually ditch the strike uh, grappling and eventually go for the striking. And I feel like Ash Moose has a little bit better durability, a little bit more explosiveness, and a little bit more power to eventually find that chin of Duncan and put his lights clean out. Obviously, fight doesn't go to decision, and unders are probably the th- spots that I feel the safest in You know, in case either guy is able to get the finish here, as Ashmoos can be a little bit wild at times, and Duncan might be the better technical striker here. But I feel like the power that Ashmoos has shown in the past will come through for him once again here, and I think he finds that early finish here against Chris Duncan. Next up in the women's bantamweight division, we got 13-3, Ketlin Vera, going up against 16-6, Pani Kianzad. Starting off on the Ketlin Vieira side, she's coming off an unfortunate split decision loss to Raquel Pennington in a fight that I personally believe she deserved to win. There's one judge that actually scored against her in that first round, which I think is absolutely absurd considering that was the clearest round for Ketlin that night. But... It is what it is. She had her two-fight losing streak snapped after she picked up two of the biggest wins of her UFC career over Misha Tate and Holly Holm, both former bantamweight title holders. And Ketlyn Vera is a fighter that's always looked to stay in that title talk. She's been there a couple times where she was on the cusp of a title shot or at least a number one contender fight, but she always ended up coming up short. I still believe at 31 years old that she can muster up another run in her to potentially earn herself a title shot or at least a number one contender shot. She's a powerful striker and even though she doesn't have a lot of knockouts on her record, she still visibly hurts her opponents fight in and fight out. On the flip side, with Penny Kianzad, she's coming off a victory over Lena Landsberg by decision. That was a fight where Landsberg had some solid success in the second round and almost finished Kianzad that night. And it's very weird because Kianzad is a talented striker that utilizes her movement and output to try to defeat her opponents by decision. But she's having very close fights against fighters she should be, you know, not starching, but at least beating pretty handily. The Alexis Davis fight was another one that was very close and very concerning, considering that Kianzad, again, should be way more talented and way more successful against that level of fighter. But we see whenever she does take a legit step up in competition, she ends up coming up short. You know, the Raquel Pennington fight is the perfect example of that. And I believe that that's just going to be a sign of things to come for Kianzad. She'll be able to beat the Landsbergs and Eubankses and Davises of the world. But as she takes steps up the rankings, she's going to end up coming up short because she just doesn't have what it takes to get over that hump. She takes damage very poorly and uh, she leaves herself open to counters quite often but we'll see if she can make those necessary changes as she's still only 31 years old and is capable of improving at this stage of her career. I just don't know if it's actually going to come to fruition. Ketlin Vieira can be such a a world beater if she just pulls the trigger and that's the issue that she had in the Raquel Pennington fight however if she's learned from that mistake and showcased that she can go out there and put the beating on her opponents and really let the 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 guns fly I think she can get her hand raised in this matchup Kianzad might have a little bit of an advantage in terms of output and volume but I think it's going to be the more damaging and impactful strikes that make it look better for the judges in Ketlin Vieira's favor so I think Ketlin storms back here and it picks up a victory, gets back into the win column and reasserts herself into the title talks of the bantamweight division. Next up in the middleweight division, we got 25-8 Mahmoud Muradov going up against 18-10 Brian Barbarena. starting off on the Muradov side. I'm very surprised that he's actually on a two-fight losing streak at this stage in his career. He lost last time around against Kyle Bahayo in a fight that was 1-1 going into the third round, but it was Bahayo that was able to secure a top position and ride it out over the course of the last five minutes of the fight. In the fight prior to that, Muradov had a solid beginning to the fight against Gerald Mirchardt, but ended up getting caught in a choke in the second round and ended up tapping out that night. Muradov is a slick striker with a decent grappling game as well where he's able to imply his top pressure and do some good damage from on top but I'd say he's most comfortable when he is in the striking realm able to get off on his footwork and his combination striking to batter his opponents and eventually find the knockout. I think he is still has some solid potential, even at 33 years old, he's just got to rein it in a little bit more and really get to work on putting his game together, whether it's a striking and followed up with grappling, or at least managing his gas tank a little bit better so he doesn't get caught in bad positions like he did against Mearshart. His opponent this weekend, Brian Barbarina, is a veteran in the UFC, and it looks like he's actually going up a division here to take on Muradov. Barbarina, not that big of a welterweight to begin with, standing at 6 foot with a 72 inch reach, but it seems like he's one of those guys that will fight anybody at any time. Just look at his resume. Over his last 5 fights alone, he's fought Matt Brown, Robbie Lawler, Jafiel Dos Anos, and Gunnar Nelson. You also see guys like Colby Cumminson on his record from earlier in his UFC career. This guy is an absolute scrapper, a fighter's fighter, loves uh, to rely on his durability and his grit to move forward, break his opponents, and potentially finish them. The Robbie Lawler fight is a perfect example of a Brian Barbarena fight where he got kind of whooped on in that first round but managed to muster up a comeback in the second round and get get the finish that night. His takedown defense and get-ups need a little bit of work, but outside of that, I love his striking and the power that he presents. It's just he makes up for his lack of skills with more of his, you know, the intangibles, the the toughness, the grit, and the durability that will only get you so far in the UFC. And I look forward to seeing if it's enough to surpass his test up a weight class here. I'm still trying to get over the fact that Brian Barbarino is going up to middleweight for this matchup. You know, a guy that's usually been fighting at welterweight for the majority of his career, and Muradov is going to be a much bigger guy in this matchup. I also think his technical striking advantages, his speed, and his just overall discipline will likely be the key to him winning this matchup. I'm still a little bit, you know, put off in terms of the minus two seventy on his number. I think he should be closer to the minus two hundred to minus two thirty range, uh, but I still think he gets to win here, right? Unless it's a huge cardio dump of any sort or Brian Barberina land some sort of Hail Mary shot I'm expecting the discipline striking a Muradov, as well as some well-timed takedowns for him to make it look good enough for the judges to get his hand raised to win by decision up next in the heavyweight division we got 6-0 Mick Parkin going up against 10-3 Jamal Pogues Starting off on the Parkin side who earned his UFC contract through the contenders series circuit last season where he came in as a near plus 200 underdog against Eduardo Neves and was able to find the submission in at least a halfway point of the first round to get his hand raised. Mick Parkman is an athletic and solid fighter with good footwork, good cardio and a great all-around game. This guy mixes it up on the regular basis with guys like Tom Aspinall and top heavyweight from the UK, Phil DeFries, who currently is the KSW Heavyweight Champion and successfully defended it once again this past weekend. Parkin is a solid prospect at 27 years old who showcases solid improvements throughout his career. He had a solid amateur career as well before jumping to the pro ranks where he is now undefeated and has finished pretty much all of his opponents. He has, like I said, very solid skills all around, good boxing, good grappling, good scrambles, and I believe his cardio is probably the best aspect of his game. He's also one of those hybrid heavyweights as well, where he, you know, he has the cardio to go a full three rounds if he needs to, but also has that knockout power and that grappling that can finish his opponents early. His opponent this weekend, Jamal Pogues, is another fighter that earned his contract through the contender series. After falling short of getting a contract in his first opportunity in a fight where he relied on a grapple-heavy approach to win a boring decision, obviously Dana ended up passing on him. But he got another opportunity against Paulo Aranato Jr. Uh, in 2022 in a fight where he was able to just touch up Hanato and eventually get his contract because of the handiwork that he was showcasing that night a couple flying knees as well which ended up getting his hand raised he made a successful UFC debut earlier this year against Josh Parisian where he utilized a takedown heavy approach once again to try to get his hand raised I was kind of you know he was my lock of the night prediction that night but I thought he was a little bit lacking in terms of actually dishing out much damage that night he was lucky that he was able to control it for as long as he was because when Parisian did get back to his feet, Parisian was the one that was landing more significant damage and I was kind of happy that the judges decided to give it to Pogues once the decision was actually read. Pogues still has plenty of time to improve at 27 years old and has a solid all-around skill set but I think he needs to focus more so on the damage rather than just trying to grind these guys down because if he starts fighting higher levels of opponents that can shut down his grappling game, then he might get out-damaged rather than out-controlled. So I'm curious to see how he looks to improve this time around and what he learned from his last fight, which was closer than it should have been. Mick Parkin is still relatively unproven against legitimate opponents, however, I feel like he has all the athletic capabilities in this matchup, the scrambling ability to make it difficult for Pogues to get off much of a grapple-heavy approach, not to mention the hometown advantage, and not to mention great training partners to help him get ready to fight a guy at this level. His striking advantage, his speed advantage, and I believe just his overall grappling as well that he can implement in this fight will make it difficult for Pogues to have much success. Pokes could have a little bit of success, don't get me wrong, in the early wrestling exchanges where he could get some takedowns and do some good work from on top. But I think the longer that this fight goes into deep waters, we'll see Parking be able to scramble. Be able to reverse and get into some great positions where he can do damage from on top and potentially even find a finish. So, I'm going to take Parkin as a dog. I think he's a very solid dog in the spot. He's being overlooked because of his contender series resume and the fact that he doesn't have as many quality wins as Jamal Pogues, but that's also because Parkin hasn't had those opportunities yet. Give me Parkin and Parkin to win inside the distance, and probably one of the better underdogs on the card, in my opinion. Heading back to the lightweight division, we got 16-6 Mark Casey going up against 19-3 Joel Alvarez. Starting off on the Casey side of things here, he's coming off a loss to Michael Johnson, which ended up snapping a two-fight winning streak. That two fight winning streak was when Mark DKC turned into Mark D1KC as he ended up landing 19 takedowns combined through those two fights, controlling his opponents for pretty much I believe it was like 27 or 28 minutes of the 30 minutes that he competed against them. However, Michael Johnson had the perfect game plan against him as he was able to stop the takedowns, all six of them that DKC was shooting, and was able to beat up DKC on the feet with his slicker striking approach dkc is a decent striker in his own right a little bit more flashy than he is technical but still has some solid power and some speed to go with it i wonder how he'll look to change his game up after the grapple heavy approach didn't work for a third time in a row or if he thinks he can get away with it once again and will rely on it more so this time around but he is a guy that came into the ufc known as a flashy and technical or flashy striker with big power I like that he's evolving and maturing into a more overall fighter, but I wonder how far that's even going to take him at this stage of his career. His opponent this weekend, Joel Alvarez, took the second loss in his UFC career last time around against Armand Sarukian. However, we can't really bat an eye on it considering the guy is a pretty solid fighter. You know, he's a, one of the biggest heavy or lightweights we've seen in the UFC, standing at 6'3 with a 77 inch reach. He went on a four fight winning streak where he finished. All four of his opponents, Danilo Beluardo, Joe Duffy, Alexander Yakovlev, and Thiago Moises, the last of which he absolutely disrespected that night, walked through and finished within a minute of their fight. His only losses coming to guys like Armand Sarukin and Demir Ismagulov since joining the UFC you believe that he could still have some solid success and good potential considering the size that he brings to the division and the violence that he brings to the decision uh, or, or to the division uh, you know just with his aggressiveness with his power and just his forward movement even when he's put on his back he does a good job in terms of staying active with elbows and throwing up submissions or looking for reversal opportunities so that he can get back to dishing out damage from a more dominant position. I'm very excited for his return since he's been out for a while now and I look forward to seeing if he can muster up that same confidence and that success that he had during the four-fight winning streak before the Sarugian fight. I don't think Mark D. Casey does well under pressure, and he's going to be feeling every bit of that pressure here against the Spaniard and Joel Alvarez. I think Alvarez is pissed off and ready to get back in the cage after that unfortunate loss to Armand surukin which could have propped him up at the top of the lightweight division, but he still has it in him to go out there and get those dominant victories. And I feel like D. Casey, as we saw in his fight against Hafael Alvarez, is a guy that will crack under that pressure. Alvarez is going to be huge. I believe it's a five inch height advantage as well as a four reach advantage he's going to have in this matchup and if he just keeps it coming against dkc and even if D. Casey wants to take this fight to the ground and try to grind him out i think he's going to be dealing with too much of a madman from the bottom a guy that throws elbows up and submissions and reversals so that he can get back into a dominant position and do what he does best and that is inflict damage give me joel avarez here and i think he finishes uh marty casey honestly within seven and a half minutes Next up in the welterweight division, we got 18-7 Danny Roberts going up against 8-3 Johnny Parsons. Starting off on the Danny Roberts side of things, who's on a two-fight losing streak looking to avoid his first ever three-fight losing streak in the UFC. And we'll see if he can get it done this weekend. He's mainly a striker with good technique and decent power. And I believe the biggest win of his UFC career thus far came in his last win, which was against Ramazan Ameev. It was a close fight, but it was Robertson's damage that was more prevalent to the judges, which is why he got his hand raised that night. However, it looks like he's kind of losing a step at 36 years old as he was getting hurt numerous times against Francisco Trinaldo. And even though there wasn't a knockdown recorded against him that night, it was clear that he was just getting outstruck, damaged and broken that night by the much older Trinaldo in the jdm fight following that obviously roberts was not able to stand up to the firepower of madalena and ended up crumpling in that fight as well i don't know how much is left in the tank of danny roberts considering the style that he relies on to get his hand raised especially when he's fighting other power punchers it doesn't seem to work out too well for him his opponent this weekend johnny parsons finally makes his ufc debut after earning his contract on the contender series back in 2021 He was scheduled to compete in February of 2022 but unfortunately suffered from concussion uh, symptoms that pulled him out of that fight and he took off a large amount of time so that he can get his wits back about him so he can finally step back into the cage. He's a solid striker, a dense striker I should say that because he loves to move forward with a high guard and just put damage on his opponents with combinations and solid kicks. He has good power but i question his level of competition on the regional scene before making it to the ufc the win over solomon renfro was very close but it was still enough for him to get his hand raised that night he's still a very solid fighter and i think he has some decent potential but i wonder how much the concussion symptoms will have taken away from him and if that makes him any more hesitant in the cage considering the style that he normally likes to fight with it's tough to be uber confident in a guy like Danny Roberts who has clear durability issues and is losing a step but also just as uh, uncomfortable being confident in a guy like Johnny Parsons who's had to deal with concussion symptoms as of late however I feel like uh, Parsons is a guy that will still go down there uh, you know bite down on the mouthpiece and put some big damage on his opponents Danny Roberts might have the technical striking advantage here but all of that technique will go out the window as Parsons starts to land his damage I feel a little bit skeptical in terms of pulling the trigger on Parsons. Uh, I might would look to just kind of hone in on that Parsons via knockout prop, as I think if he does look, you know, like the favorite in this spot, it likely comes due to his, uh, you know, his knockout ability. Uh, but yeah i i think parsons is the one that ends up getting the get his getting his hand raised here this is the toughest opponent he's faced in terms of just somebody who's so experienced and has legitimate technique but i think he's catching danny roberts at the right time here so give me johnny parsons and johnny parsons to win by knockout next up in the bantamweight division we got 13 and 6 davy grant going up against 14 and 0 daniel marcos Starting off on the Davey Grant side of things, he's on a two-fight winning streak and he's been quite active during the COVID era, especially considering the lack of activity from him pre-COVID. Now he seems to be in a groove and more than than, uh, welcomes going down uh, and throwing down in the cage, but I think he's more so happy that he gets to throw down in his side of the pond as well. Last time around, earlier this year, we saw him go up against Hafiala Sunsau and was close to losing a decision that night in a retirement fight. But there's a weird circumstance regarding a, f- a fence grab from Davy Grant where he ended up in a bad position but still got the fight restarted because the referee decided to take a point and take the position away from a And that allowed Davy Grant to unload with a barrage of strikes near the ending of that fight to set up an inverted triangle choke to put a clean out. Obviously, Asuncio's coaches were very heated about that decision from the referee, but Davy Grant went out there and did his job, given the cards that he was dealt. Grant is a very aggressive fighter that likes to put his punches together and try to knock his opponents out, just like he did against Luis Moka and even Jonathan Martinez. However, if he's unable to get the finish, more often than not, he ends up losing on the scorecards because he just doesn't put together enough work in terms of outdoing any type of output and uh, you know work rate that his opponents are putting together. His opponent this weekend, Daniel Marcos, is an undefeated 14-0 prospect who made a successful UFC debut earlier this year against Simon Oliveira. That was a night where Oliveira, mainly a striker, decided to try taking Marcos to the ground and was unsuccessful in doing so, blowing his gas tank while doing so, and Marcos was able to take over in the second round and eventually open up a knockout opportunity for himself. Marcos was a fighter that loved to grapple on the regional scene, but seems to have developed a solid striking game since moving to Florida and training at American Combat Club. I believe that's the name of the gym, but it's mainly headed by Charles Rosa, who is always in his uh, corner as of late, and even in his contender series fight against Brandon Lewis, we saw him use a striking heavy approach centered by calf kicks, where he was able to batter Brandon Lewis over 15 minutes and win that decision, and most importantly, win the UFC contract. This kid looks to have some solid potential, especially with his improving striking game. I wonder at what point he's going to decide to go back to his grappling because of the level of competition he's going to start facing or at least just maybe the striking does not work out against higher levels of competition. I'm excited to see what he brings to the table this weekend and we'll see if he has added any new wrinkles to his game and what he can show off against a veteran like Davey Grant. This is a stiff test for Daniel Marcos, but I feel it's a test that he can pass. I believe he has a very good overall game here that he can withstand the knockout power of Davy Grant and then put together a much better repertoire for the uh, judges to see it in his favor, from his output, to his grappling, to even his calf kick, where he can take off the majority of power from the Grant hands. Uh, I think that's the best way that we'll see Marcos win this fight, is just putting together a great package, uh, putting the power on him, putting the takedowns on him, and just out grinding him so give me marcos by decision but again big spot for him in uh grants you know neck of the woods let's see if he shows up i think he does and i think he wins by decision next up in the featherweight division we got 12 0 and 1 larone murphy going up against 11 1 and 1 josh coulibao starting off on the larone murphy side of things here he's a solid as of right now undefeated and he uh made a successful return last time around against gabriel santos that was a fight where it he was pushed to his brink you know he took on a short notice UFC newcomer a guy that was more than deserving to already be in the UFC but everything was working against Santos that night considering that he was flying across the pond having to cut weight and taking the fight on short notice but still showcased a very solid skill set to uh you know push Lerone Murphy Murphy to his brink and uh you know lose that fight I believe it was a split decision but Lerone murphy very solid athlete good power in his hands good striking uh good speed um you know i'd say the the grappling aspect of his game is probably the weakest part of it but he is improving that you know he's learning on uh learning with how to get back to his feet uh trying to shut down the takedowns to begin with and even just you know trying to Outdo the control time that's being held against him by going out there and inflicting even more damage, so that the judges ended up seeing his way instead. His opponent this weekend, Cooley Bow, was on a three-fight winning streak after going 0-1-1 in his first two UFC fights. His first fight in the UFC was a short notice spot against hot prospect Jalen Turner. His next fight ended up being a draw against always-fan favorite, Charles Jourdain. But then since then, he's been able to defeat uh, Shailan, Nerdinbeka, Sungwoo Choi in a big upset that night. And then submitted Ma- Malsik in another upset. That was a fight though, I believe that he was losing at least 6 minutes of that fight before he ended up ca- catching Bagdasarian slipping, and he was able to jump on his back and eventually sink in a rear naked choke to get the victory. Kulibao is a very tough and durable fighter that likes to move forward, put pressure on his opponents and look to finish them or at least break them so that he can take over in deep waters. He's a solid fighter like I said, I think he lacks a little bit of um. You know, a little bit of athleticism, a little bit of technique, but he makes up for it by always staying in his opponent's face and never really giving them an opportunity to breathe. Koulibau is going to be a very tough out for Lerone Murphy here right he's going to push Murphy just as much as Gabriel Santos ended up pushing him so I completely understand why the odds are around that minus 140 range right now for Murphy but I'm gonna lean on the Murphy side here I believe his physical advantages his explosivity his speed his power will allow him to land those big shots on Kulibao and grind this fight out like I think it's just going to take uh, you know a striking heavy approach landing big damage maybe even recording a couple knockdowns that's going to have to really thwart that forward pressure of Kui Bao, really put that hurting on him and then end up winning this fight by decision close fight I'm likely going to stay off of it in, in terms of action overall but I feel like the Brit will end up getting his hand raised here by decision next up in the lightweight division we got 12-4-1 Jai Herbert going up against 13-4 Ferris Ziem Starting off on the Herbert side of things, he's 1-1-1 one one over his last three fights that loss came to Ilya Taporia last year in London in a fight where he had some solid success early. Almost finished the undefeated Ilya Taporia, but ended up blowing his gas tank and getting finished in the second round by a brutal knockout. He followed that up with a decision victory over Kyle Nelson where Nelson looked for a grapple-heavy approach, but it was Herbert who turned it against him and used it effectively to win that fight by decision. Next up in the Ludovic Klein fight, that was a fight where it ended up going to a draw. After a very close fight overall, I believe it was a point taken uh, from the Klein side that ended up making that fight a draw, but Herbert showcased good striking as he normally does. That is his bread and butter, is utilizing footwork, output, and combination striking to defeat his opponents. But he's starting to showcase some solid grappling chops as well now, which is very important if he hopes to be successful at the UFC level. But he is 35 years old, so you have to wonder at what point is he going to start slowing down, and that durability is going to continue to showcase itself where he ends up getting himself finished over and over again. On the flip side, for Fairseam, 26 years old, nine years the uh, uh, the younger or younger than his opponent this weekend. He's a fighter that shows continuous improvements as well. He holds a three and two record in the UFC right now, one and one over his last two fights. His last fight, he showed an improved grapple-heavy approach. You know He's mainly a striker that likes to use his output and his footwork to just really batter his opponents from distance, but we saw in the Figlak fight that Figlak was trying to implement some grappling, but ZM was able to reverse it on him and do some good damage from that top position. I believe ZM still needs to work on his ability to control opponents from that top position so that he can have extended moments of control time with effective damage from on top, but... Still very young and still developing as a fighter, it was still a very bright moment to see him go out there and thoroughly defeat Figlak, especially as a plus 160 underdog that night. It was interesting to see ZM open up as the small underdog in this matchup, and now by the time of this recording, he's roughly around that minus 130 range. (laughs) It kind of comes down to the fact that it looks like he's making some solid improvements, especially at 26 years old. And obviously the aging veteran Jai Herbert is really starting to slow down a bit too. I fully expect ZM to go out there and put the hurting on Jai Herbert in the striking round, but also mix in his takedown game, which is improving, do some good damage from on top and make it look good for the judges. Jai Herbert could also have his own success in terms of the grappling as well, but I'm not fully sold that he's going to be able to hold ZM down zm is making improvements and i know, more often than not like to lean on the younger guy and that's exactly what we're getting here with the frenchman so give me mr zm to win this fight by decision next up we have the middleweight debut of the bear Jew paul craig who comes in with the 16 6 and 1 record he goes up against 23 and 5 andre Muniz. Starting off on the Paul Craig side here, who's on a two-fight losing streak after losing a decision to Volkan Uzdemir and getting knocked out by Joshua... Or... <laughs> johnny walker last time around josh walker is a fighter on the fury fc promotion and that kind of threw me off as he fought recently but yes he got knocked out by johnny walker paul craig now at 35 years old is looking for a change of pace and hoping for more success down a weight class which usually doesn't bode well for a lot of aging fighters but paul craig has showcased that he's very dangerous he actually holds a win over uh freshly former champion of the light heavyweight division jamal hill in a fight where he ended up snapping his arm uh due to a brutal arm bar that he was able to apply that night he's even finished guys like nikita krilov in the past with beautiful strokes as well he's very dangerous off his back especially when opponents want to play in his guard he's very active with throwing submissions up switching his hips and looking for angles so that he can get to a submission or a reversal or even eventually work back to his feet but it's clear that he needs to get fights to the ground if he hopes to have success, which eventually leaves him open in the striking realm where opponents can kind of just batter him on the feet, especially when he keeps going for desperation takedowns. And then that also just leaves him vulnerable to not getting much off on the feet because he's just so concerned with getting the fight to the mat. His opponent this weekend is a BJJ black belt and Andre Munoz, who had his very solid winning streak snapped last time around by Brendan Allen. Allen was able to withstand the early onslaught from Muniz and then take over late, where he's able to apply a rear naked choke and get the tap over the BJJ black belt. Muniz has a decent striking game, but I think he does his best work when he's able to get his opponents to the ground. He does a very good job in terms of controlling them there and really, you know, re- um, negating much damage that his opponent is able to get off from either the striking realm or even on the ground. We saw him snap the arm of Jacare Souza a couple fights back, even submit Eric Anders with relative ease. The Uriah Hall fight, he just absolutely controlled him that night. Even though he was was not able to get the submission, he kept getting a dominant position that he was able to ride out over and over again. At 33 years old, Munez really needs to get it going again, especially if he hopes to build himself back up to a potential title shot, especially with getting his hype derailed last time around against Brendan Allen. I usually don't like reading into narratives too much, especially the you know there's always some wacky narrative out there but the one narrative that's coming into this matchup which i kind of think rings true is usually guys that are in you know the 35 36 or even anywhere over 35 year old range if uh they're going down in weight especially a, a tremendous drop from you know a 20 pound weight drop we're talking about 205 to 185 for a guy like paul craig usually doesn't bode well for them uh a guy like muniz who's you know been fighting at 185 uh, pounds for the majority of his career not to mention had a very solid winning streak going on before that uh brendan allen fight i think this is a fight that's likely in his favor i think his bjj black belt will allow him to stay safe on the ground should he look to take it there but i also think he ends up being the better striker here as paul craig is a little bit too wild when he starts getting into his striking exchanges and i think that's where muniz can either counter him effectively or even change levels get the fight to the ground and get into a safe position where he can grind him out I feel like people just remember, you know, Paul Craig just latching onto these submissions and being super dangerous there, which he is. You know, I think he's an anomaly in terms of how dangerous he is off of his back. But I feel like a, you know, a well thought out veteran, a black belt veteran like Muniz should be able to stay safe from that top position and grind him out. If you look through the tape, there is tape of Paul Craig being grinded out from that top position. You just have to know how to do it. And yes, Muniz did get uh, submitted in his last matchup against Brandon Allen, but that was a fight in which he was not able to dictate the pace when he can, like he did in the Uriah Hall fight, that's where he's able to grind these guys out over 15 minutes and not really have to worry about a slip-up in his submission defense and end up getting finished. So I think Munez is the side here. The chalk a little bit too much, if I'm being honest, but I think he is the side. The narrative has him as the side as well. So give me Munez to win this fight by decision. Next up in the featherweight division, we have 19-5 and Nathaniel Wood going up against 22-9 Andre Feely. Starting off on the Nathaniel Woods side of things here, he's actually riding a two-fight winning streak. But the most important aspect of his game is the fact that he's at featherweight now. He was a very big bantamweight, standing at five foot six with a sixty-nine inch reach, and he was clearly diminished from the cardio uh, dump that he was receiving after having to cut so much weight, making that one hundred thirty-five pound limit. But he looks very healthy and excited now at this 145-pound weight class, especially with the upset victory that he was able to pull off last time around against fan favorite Charles Jourdain. What is a guy that was very highly touted coming into the UFC? You know, had a little bit of a roller coaster career, but still has the youth at 29 years old and the potential to be a very high-level opponent, especially at this new weight class. He's a very good striker, very patient, calm, and technical, but also has a very good ground game that he could take his opponents to the mat and control them from on top, maybe even opening up some mission opportunities for himself as well. His opponent this weekend is a veteran in the UFC at this point. Andre Touchi Feely is coming off a victory, a split decision victory over Bilalgio. He's a guy that has found it very difficult to to really find his footing inside the ufc having a roughly a 500 uh, record with the promotion he's a solid loose striker that likes to throw unorthodox combinations and even has a decent grappling game if he needs to rely on that too but it's obvious when he takes steps up in competition he usually ends up coming up short you know losing to guys like bryce mitchell and joe anderson Brito just lets you know everything you need to know He's a good veteran, good experience, good technical striking, but I believe that he just has, you know, he doesn't have what it takes to break through to that next level. I don't know what it is, whether it's just a mindset thing or just a lack of technical skills at times. He has all the experience in the world. He has a solid 22-9 record as well, but it just showcases when he fights higher levels of competition, it just doesn't end up working out well for him. I think this is the weight class that Nathaniel Wood needed this entire time. You know, we know weight cuts or drastic weight cuts do a lot of negatives for a lot of fighters, especially in the durability and cardio realm. And I feel like at 145 now, Nathaniel Wood will fit into this weight class perfectly and mix that with his skill and his talent level. This guy should be able to crack that top 15, maybe even top 10. He has good overall game from a very patient striking style from the distance where he's able to pick his apart or pick his opponents apart or drag them to the ground and grind them up from on top like he did against Charles Jourdain. I think he has all the advantages, and advantages in this matchup outside of maybe experience against Andre Feely, but I still feel he can put together a great overall game plan to go out there and grind out a guy in Feely who usually fights very close to the level of his competition, but just can't seem to get over the hump against the better guys. Nathaniel Wood is the better guy. So give me Nathaniel Wood to win this fight by decision. The co-main event goes down in the women's flyweight division as we have fan-favorite 13-5 Molly Meatball McCann going up against 10-7-1 Yulia Stolyarenko. Starting off on the Molly McCann side, she had a solid three-fight winning streak going on, especially with two devastating knockouts to close out that winning streak. Unfortunately, she bit off a little bit more than she could chew late last year where she took on Aaron Blanchfield and absolutely got trucked that night. blanchfield was able to get that fight down within about 30 to 40 seconds of that fight starting eventually getting that crucifix position and locking up that kimura where she was able to get the tap however i gotta give molly some credit molly has definitely improved from when she originally came to the ufc she has some solid boxing technique good pressure and good pace where she's able to stay in her opponent's face and really put the hurting on them She has some solid knockout power, especially when she decides to spin and land that elbow on her opponents. She's also showcased a decent grappling game in the past against lower level competition, but I really think it's where she shines in regards to when she gets her striking going. Again, staying in her opponent's face and putting that pressure on them with big punches and a lot of volume as well. Her opponent this weekend, Yulia Stolyarenko, has not been that successful at this stage. In her last five fights, she's 1-4 and with her lone victory coming over Jessica Rose Clark in a fight where Clark pretty much put herself in the jaws of defeat by taking Stolyarenko to the ground and eventually finding herself in that armbar. I like to call it Stolyarenko the Lithuanian Ronda Rousey as the majority of the wins on her record have come via armbar and they usually come in that first round. She's very dangerous when she does get into that armbar position, especially when she's in her full guard, but she is pretty sloppy everywhere else. She's very robotic with her striking. She's usually off balance, which is why it's so easy for opponents to take her to the ground and not just because she prefers to be on the ground, but like you see even in her last fight against Chelsea Chandler, Chandler was able to take her down and get right into full mount and that's where she was able to you know posture up and rain down big shots to get that TKO victory. Stolia Renko is a fun fighter she's very violent at times as well but she's also very you know flaky in terms of actually defeating high levels of competition we've seen Julia Avila uh, Alexis Davis Yana Santos just grind her out and keep her away from that armbar that she just always looks to uh, find on her opponents it's obvious why the UFC decided to give her this opportunity and it might also be the last opportunity she has in the UFC. Now even though this is a tailor made matchup from Wally McCann there is still some danger in case Stolyarenko is able to get the takedown and maybe do some work from on top. However, I think the speed advantage and the striking advantage from Molly McCann will allow her to keep this fight in the upright position, and I think even if she wants to go for takedowns later on in this matchup, she should be able to pass the guard pretty easily and stay away from that danger of the armbar that the Lithuanian Ronda Rousey like to, likes to throw up. There's a reason they gave her Stoliarenko. There's a reason they put her in the co event. They want her to get a victory, and they want the crowd to go into a ruckus in anticipation for the main event for Tom Aspinall to eventually walk out I mean again Molly McCann a little bit cringe at times but she is developing as a fighter like I said in her background and I feel like this is a picture perfect matchup for her to go out there and get her hand raised When I did the write-up on my Patreon for this matchup, she's around that minus 280, minus 290 range. By the time I'm recording this, she's minus 240. So I completely understand the value hunters out there trying to get in on some Yulia Stolyarenko, which is why I'll probably stay patient and see maybe we can crack that minus 200 range for uh, Molly McCann and get a better number on her. But I do think she wins this fight, and I do think she ends up finishing Stolyarenko as well. Give me Molly McCann by knockout. And now it's time for the main event, which goes down in the heavyweight division. We have the return of 12-3 Tom Aspinall as he goes up against 24-7 Marcin Tybura. Starting off on the Tom Aspinall side of things, he was a very hot prospect in the UFC, finishing all of his opponents relatively early before he ran into Curtis Blades. That was a fight that unfortunately did not last that long as Blades ended up winning that fight by injury. Tom Aspinall It seemed to, uh, you know, I, I forgot exactly what it was, but something happened with his knee. He fell over in pain and it ended up being a torn ACL, which he had to take the last year to fully recuperate from. Now a full year away from the cage and fully rehabbed, ready to step back and take his place back in the heavyweight division. Tom Aspinall wants to showcase that he still belongs at the top of the division and likely should put himself in line for a title shot probably by next year's time. He's a very fast and agile striker with big power in his hands and he's also a BJJ black belt if I'm not mistaken as he showcased in the Alexander Volkov fight. He's very strong when he's able to time his takedowns and get his opponents to the ground. I've had my question marks about him in the past especially with his cardio but no opponent has been able to stretch him far enough that we actually see those cardio issues come into play. He's just so fast, precise, and very devastating with the strikes when he lands them clean, as we've seen time and time again. It's going to be very difficult for a lot of heavyweights to get a beat on this guy, considering his speed and his agility early in fights, especially when he lands with the power that he does. His opponent this weekend, Marcin Taibura, is on a two-fight winning streak after giving Alexander Romanov the first loss of his MMA career, and then following that up with the gutsy performance against Blagoy Ivanov. Marcin has been on a very solid run as of late, and even his loss to Alexander Volkov was a very close fight, which there was an argument that he probably could have won that fight too. He's a very solid all around fighter with a hybrid skill set in terms of being able to go a full 15 to 25 minutes if needed, a great striker, as well as a very, you know, a grinding grappler as well when required. I think he is a little slow at times and can be chinny and his durability might come into play at times against him but he's shown case some solid uh, composure and discipline and ability to battle back from adversity against guys like Greg Hardy and Walt Harris even against Alexander Romanov in a fight where the first round probably could have been scored at 10-8. He's a good all-around fighter, like I said, and this is probably the best version we're going to get of him, but at 37 years old, you got to wonder at what point is he going to hit his ceiling and if he'll ever even find himself in title contention gone are the days where I'm gonna try fading Aspinall with somebody that's not in the top two or top three of the division so obviously I'll be taking Tom Aspinall in this spot but I think he's in a spot where he can get it done pretty quickly the under one and a half is a spot that I'd look to target in this matchup which last time I saw was around that minus 140 minus 150 range but I think that that early speed and power advantage for Tom Aspinall is going to be too much for Tybura We've seen Tabora get hurt over and over again early in fights, but he's been able to bounce back and come back and win fights, right? Like the Greg Hardy, the Walt Harris fight, the Alexander Romanov fights. However, those guys are not Tom Aspinall. Those guys are not guys that can effectively smell uh, blood in the water and actually close the show. And I think that's what we're going to see here from Aspinall. Whether it's a takedown after hurting him or even just following up with the barrage of strikes that are more pinpoint and accurate than things that we'll see from Greg Hardy and Walteris, something's going to occur, something's going to transpire for Aspinall, and I think it's going to end up with him getting his hand raised by a first-round stoppage here. And there you guys go. Breakdowns on all 15 fights for this UFC London card. Reminder, it is an early card because it is taking place in London. And there's nothing I love more than that. If you guys are looking for breakdowns for Cage Warriors, which goes down the day before, as well as LFA, you can find those strictly on my Patreon page. Link in the description below. I'll have write-ups for every single one of those matchups as what I think is the best prediction for each fight as well. If you're looking to research on those yourself and do your own breakdowns, MMA Fight Archive is where you'll find all the direct links for past fights for every single one of these competitors so you can figure out how these guys fight and how they match up with their upcoming opponent and how you can break it down and give the best predictions possible as obviously we got a ton of more segments dropping throughout the week i'll see you guys tomorrow once again for the uh what is it what are we doing tomorrow the top three lock of the night candidates which i've already locked in this week if you want to know what it is check the patreon page my personal patreon page otherwise you can find out what my top three candidates are for the lock of the night prediction and i'll see you guys for that tomorrow peace Last thing.